HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're foraging. From Prospect Park to an iPhone app, what does it mean to find our own food? We've recorded, I think, over 1,300 species of fungi occurring in New York City. You know, my ingredients are making themselves, and so that rather than having the stress of needing to source the things I need, I can just walk out my back door and I can have them. Foraging overall is born out of living with the land and with the seasons by indigenous people. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Eric Strickland, National Director of Alternate Channel Sales at Tessames, the fastest growing organic salad dressing company in the country. Eric is a true sales master. He's led a bunch of initiatives for Tessames, including natural, field marketing, and merchandising. And now he's leading their expansion into organic salad kits, food service, and on-the-go snacking. Tessames is available at over 10,000 stores across the U.S., and online at Amazon, Thrive Market, and of course, tessamaze.com. Welcome, Eric. Hello, Allie. Hello. Great to be with you. Thank you. Um, I find sales confounding. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's start with that. Um, sure. I find it hard to hire for. I find it hard to understand the architecture of it all. There are many different parts of sales. Um, and it it's almost taken me, I think you might be the first sales specific person <laughs> that I've had on the podcast, which is now three years in, because I couldn't even figure out what questions to ask mm-hmm. until now. Um, yeah. Does that feel about right to you? That does. I think... <laughs> 
I mean, to that point, and congratulations, one, on three For years. For having you on. <laughs> yeah, right? Congratulations on three years. Um, I went through your the history of this podcast, and there was moments where I had that, you know, moment of, wait a minute, why, why does Allie want me on? Uh, but <laughs> I'm very honored to be here and oh, uh, excited to, to speak with you. So I think my perspective, and I think a lot of us are just students of sales, right? Yeah. We've, we've had our high highs and our low lows. We've done things that we think are going to absolutely knock it out of the park and they fail miserably. Mm-hmm. And we've done some things that, you know, we're like, well, that was awful. And then all of a sudden we get, <laughs> you know, products on the shelf and we're the fastest growing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I think there's a lot of just dynamics to sales. I mean, everyone knows for the most part, it's, it's a relationship business and it, you know, you're building trust over time. And especially lately over the past 18 to 24 months, it's been a wild ride of, you know, hoping that you can get in front of the the customers that you want to get in front of and mm-hmm. have the conversations and, you know, you'll, you'll take whatever you can get phone, zoom, in person, right. <laughs> masks, no masks, you Smoke know, whatever. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And I think also it's like, I don't, I think that the, the main thing that you don't know when you go into this and we'll get to your history of being, you know, of getting into it, but I had no idea how many, pieces of it there were, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the brokers and the merchandisers and the sales team and the different channels and the admin piece of it, that it's not just, you know, having a great meeting and, and explaining to someone, you know, on the other side of the desk or the zoom, like why this would be great for your store. That's just the beginning of it. You know, there's pricing architecture, which is, confusing. There's just, there's so many different pieces and they all seem to have almost like different skill sets um, that apply to each thing. So when you're small and there's no one person that can really do it all, you know, so everyone kind of figures out sometimes, you know, I think Chris Kirby, I Thing. I don't know if he still does it from Ithaca Hummus, but he was like his head of sales mm-hmm. um, and did all of it, not just yep. the meetings part. And then, you know, there's someone more like me who, if I was filling in the promotion calendar, I would <laughs> lose my mind, you know, like, so the, everyone tries to figure out the best way. And, you know, some of us outsource earlier and some of us then, you know, bring it in and, but there's no one right way to do this. Right. Um, right. And now it also just feels like there used to be sort of like, you know, you did the natural channel and then if that went really well, you went into sort of modern conventional and then you, you know, did the next thing. And then there was the mass and the club. And now it's almost like every other, now there are 17, 15 minute delivery things in New York city alone that are all different perspective sales leads, which is exciting, but also really overwhelming at the same time and knowing which ones are going to move the needle. It feels like a whole other job too. Right. Right. Um, Well, I mean, to that point, I think in, in our world, right. Being in, in sort of no pun intended in the sauce and the sauce industry, um, we, we find ourselves and, and Tessie may certainly over the, 
the history of the company has has had this where there's a lot of great opportunities yeah. um, and there's a lot of great things coming to you versus you having to go hunt them. But I think, you know, Greg, Brian and Matt, who started Tessie Mays, um, did every job known to man in the first mm-hmm. five years of this company. Yeah. And they were very much obviously you where it was, you know, we got to figure this out. We need to put people around us who either know how to do something better than us or just a better fit for different aspects of the business. And yeah. I think that they've done that, not perfectly, you know, as, oh, as any no company can't. But yeah. I think that, you know, I can only speak for myself, but, you know, Greg and I worked together when he was first starting Tessie Mays. And, you know, he gave me opportunities to, to sit inside of an office in downtown Annapolis and cold call people and, <laughs> you know, saw that even though I was pretty bad at it, uh, I still showed up every day right. and I, st- I still got the appointments needed to, to move the needle. And I think over the years as he, he and, and Brian and Matt have built, you know, an organization and a team that, that I think today is, is just a stellar team. They, they really have a knack. And I think I'm sure you do as well for really seeing certain, uh, you know, traits and personality and emotional intelligence of people that says, they're going to be really great for my organization. And no matter what I throw at them, they're going yeah. to live the culture that I'm really, really trying to protect and make sure that it stays in place here. Um, so, you know, I think so, that's been a lot to it. Yeah. So let's back up to Greg, Brian and Matt. Yeah. Um, are they, they're three brothers. Oh yeah. Yep. Three that brothers. Basically took their mom who was Tessie May a.k.a. Teresa, her salad dressing. And what made them decide in 2009 to pitch it to Whole Foods in Maryland? Well, you know, nobody tells it better than the brothers, but I'll, I'll do my best. So I mean, ap- you're probably ap- pretty good at it. By <laughs> a- apologies, Brian, Greg, and Matt, if I, <laughs> if I miss some of the magic. But, um, you know, Greg and I actually worked together around 2009, 2010, selling you know, consulting services to government contractors and a lot of different things. And, you know, Greg kind of had this idea one day that it was kind of this message of, I don't really feel fulfilled in what I'm doing. And I'm looking Mm -hmm. around at some friends in similar industries and, and I'm finding that, you know, I need something more. right? Right. So Greg always had a moleskin that he'd write in and have these big ideas and he would, you know, toss them around with groups of friends. And so one day he, you know, really had this idea that he was going to go take mom, Teresa, Tessie May's salad dressing and pitch it into Whole Foods. And he wanted mom and, you know, wanted to recruit Brian and Matt to kind of come into business with him. And of course, um, as any entrepreneur, a lot of people kind of give you the the weird eye at first. Mm-hmm. Um, but Greg was on a mission, as he is just as well today, mm-hmm. to really kind of change the way that people look at food and change the way that that things are done status quo. And so he literally took, you know, the salad dressing that his mom had been making ever since they were young boys. And it was how that she got them to eat vegetables. And he took it in a Tupperware container already mixed up into whole foods and pitched it to the, to the produce team leader. Uh, had no packaging, you know, it never, never made a bottle a day in his life at that point, other than what mom was kind of putting in, in, you know, liter bottles of Coke that, that had been emptied out. Um, and it was, it was really that sort of whole foods, I guess at that time. And I still think they are 
gave him that opportunity of like, mm-hmm. hey, we have a grand opening coming up. You know, you guys can kind of get your stuff together. Here's this 200 page packet. Go fill it out. Right. And it was really that. I mean, Greg and I talked recently and he reminded me that, you know, ever since the day that he did that, we've had this street fight mentality of how to build this business. Right. Um, and I saw that in those, you know, three guys and, you know, really, really just tried to do my best to mimic that because that's really kind of what got them into Whole Foods. They set, you know, a produce sales record very quickly and Amazing. it just started snowballing from there. And I mean, this all started as well by, you know, a whole family that really would work their full-time jobs nine to five, then go to a buddy's, you know, restaurant at night, make it in the back of the kitchen, right. go home in the middle of the night, come wait back up the next day and figure out how to, you know, sell it in the grocery after grocery. So um, it was a really cool journey. You joined officially in 2015. What, like what, what happened in the six years and why, why then? And what, what did they need you for? And what, what did you join as? Um, You know, Greg and I had always stayed in touch ever since he left the job we were working at. And um, we had so many different circles between lacrosse and just mutual friends. And, you know, I think we, we kind of looked at, th- looked at business and looked at the approach to kind of building a business. And I was like a foodie and stuff. So he knew mm-hmm. I was all about what he was doing. And, you know, I would keep in touch with Brian and Matt and Greg, but Greg called me probably in 2014 and, you know, was just like, Hey, I got some names on a whiteboard. You're one of them. This is what we need right now you know, yada, yada, yada. And so we kind of talked for, frankly, over a year and it kind of died down. And then um, Greg reached back out and said, okay, I'm, you know, we're ready. I'm ready. Let's go. And at the time I was, you know, running sales for a national restoration company, disaster restoration company, because, you know, that's a, (laughs) that old handbag, you know, when someone (laughs) leaves restoration, it goes into CPG. Yeah. That's like the normal track. (laughs) I've heard that a lot. Yeah. So, But I, I was never afraid to kind of go into something that I knew nothing about because I, I just, it was just kind of who I was. So I knew that I loved what they were building. I loved the culture. Um, and I knew that food and health and wellness and, you know, cooking and all that kind of stuff all mashed into one thing was something that I could be passionate about and could really you know, just give it the old college try. So at first, uh, my my first job when I came in there was, hey, go around to Baltimore because mm-hmm. started and is still today out of Baltimore, and just go sell into every restaurant, bar, you know, you name it. Go to the O's games, go to the Ravens games, and just sell in our stuff everywhere. And by um, that point, there was a food service package that you had that you were able to sell. Sure. <laughs> okay. Y- yes. Okay. Uh, no. There were there were lots of glass bottles that I would kind of uh, forcibly put in front of people and say, "This works." You know, this uh-huh. is this is beautiful. And we uh-huh. had wax tops, and you know, um, I mean, it looked like a Maker's Mark bottle if you kind of remember early yep, packaging. Yep, sure. Um, but it was it. I think it really connected with a lot of people because it was you were walking to restaurants and bars and everybody was looking for something differentiating, whether it was mm-hmm. dressings or, you know, ketchups or mustards. 
and just nothing was really out there, um, at least in that area that was, you know, bringing a level of quality. So I just went around and I got it into Atwaters around the Baltimore area and, you know, Pickles Pub across from the the Orioles game. We we started selling it, you know, at the Ravens Stadium and different different venues. Um, But that was kind of my first shot. And then very quickly over 2015, 2016, I found myself just kind of on the field marketing team. Right. Where we would just we would do everything from run demo teams at Whole Foods to new retailers that we were working with. Mm-hmm. And we also were doing, you know, Chicago food and wine. We did that event. Uh, we did Ideal World Fitness Convention. And so just anything I could get my hands on that I felt right. like I could go out there and really properly represent the brand and bring awareness to the brand, we, we went and did. So it was right. a very much cast the net as wide as we can. Let's get some fans in the fitness world and the foodie world. And and it really, I think, uh, connected with a lot of people and and really some of those relationships are still very strong today. Do you remember when you came on what, I mean, that was six years in. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember what the sales kind of org chart looked like at the time? And can you talk a little bit about you know, I think I think going back to sort of the introduction, part of my big questions are around the org chart for sales. Like right. there are people who are great at connecting and building those relationships and solving problems. And, you know, someone on the podcast a couple of months ago said like, a great, like a good salesperson isn't someone who gets yes on the first answer, but who basically knows what that no means and how to turn it into a yes. Right. Right. And there are people that are just kind of naturally, there's a, there's a personality type almost, or like a, you know, a charisma or, or something. And then there's like the actual making it happen and getting it executed and then the keeping it executed. You know, we always talk about, you know, you, you get on the shelf and that's great, but then you find out that, you know, you've been approved for 80 stores and you're only ringing in 60 of them. That's a pain in the neck, right? Then you have to go right. back and figure out like, are we not ringing because we're not getting it to them or UNFI is under ordering or we're just not ringing. Like, so they're all the, I feel like they're just different skill sets. And I think part of my challenge, and you've heard me because I've, I've reached out to you on LinkedIn over, you know, time mm-hmm. being like, is it time to bring this in house? Is it, do I not like, do you remember six years in what they had set up at that point? Yeah, I do. I mean, you know, the organization for me, I walked in, I knew nothing about CPG. Right. I knew how to sell. I knew what our product was. I knew how to go out there and be passionate about it. I did demos inside a store. So I, you know, over the first two to three years, I did everything from (laughs) sell out of the back of my car to restaurants and bars to to go do demos nationwide at Whole Foods to run the national merchandising team. Right. Yeah. So it was really, I wouldn't say there was necessarily a formal org chart because as you know, with building a business from the ground up, it very much is sort of a, you know, it takes a village mentality. Brian mm-hmm. to date, and especially in the early days of Tessie Mays, was probably that most external um, sales figure and certainly a founder and, and a, you know, one of the brothers who would go out there and passionately 
just really tell the story better than no one else. Um, along with Greg and Brian when, or Greg and Matt when needed. Um, but Matt always kind of gravitated towards uh, production and, and really right. has, has elevated over the years manufacturing. Greg, obviously being the CEO, has really tried to protect the culture and build the team. But Brian was kind of that model for me in the beginning. And is he Brian and the would, youngest? He's the middle. Okay. <laughs> so you got Greg Just, is the oldest. Yeah. Brian's I, I the middle. Figured, I was trying to like, I was going to guess that Greg was the oldest. And then when you said <laughs> sales, I was thinking, mm, that's probably the youngest just based on, but then I was wrong. So anyway, it would have yeah. been fun if I, if I got the <laughs> order of their birthright, but right. um, okay. Sorry, go on. So yeah. So village and they're, yeah. So it was very much an organization that I think um, we, we had a core group of people, but it was very still from a sales standpoint, uh, demo motivated right. and demo yep. focused. Right. And then yep. over 2015, 2016, when we started to realize that all this demo initiatives that we've been doing started to have a bunch of brand ambassadors walk into empty shelves and they'd mm -hmm. still try to do a demo, right? Because right. exactly. these were young guys and gals that we were hiring off, you know, the street right. to kind of go in and do a demo. And they'd say, oh, how your demo go? Oh, great. It was two hours. How many bottles did you sell? Six. Six. Right. Well, why didn't you sell more? <laughs> uh, well, there was none we on the shelf. We sold out. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the organization really evolved, I think, in a way from at least a grocery and a retail standpoint, where, of course, we had, you know, broker representation here and there. Um, and we had brand ambassadors and teams that would go do demos. But it truly was one of those things where the problems that started to happen were when you outsource too much and you don't have someone who is taking that culture out into the streets mm -hmm. and and literally fighting, right, for your brand. Because let's be honest, there's tons of condiments and there's tons of salad yep. dressings and there's tons of this. So it's easy to kind of say, hey, broker, I'll do this. You know, we'll pay you a percentage. Go out there and represent our brand. You have no idea what's going to happen, what conversations are going to happen. And I'll never forget, I walked into a Whole Foods one day and one of the representatives for a broker that we were using at the time had sweatpants, a fleece with food on it, sweat, um, and sandals and socks and mm -hmm. like an iPad in his hand. Mm -hmm. And he's like, hey, how's it going? You're with Tessie Mays. I work with you guys. And I'm like, uh, and I, I right. wish you could see my face because I just like stared at him, blank stare. And I'm like, OK, yeah, this isn't working. So right. <laughs> I remember calling Greg and, you know, all of us were having conversations about that. And so um the broker coverage, of course, even today we work with some great brokers and they represent us and they do a, a great job for us. But at the end of the day, no one's going to go do it like those that have been battle tested and that you've mm -hmm. recruited knowing that they're going to go out there and they're going to fight for your brand at that store with that team leader or with that produce manager that has a million excuses or not even a million excuses but mm -hmm. they're just busy, right? And they yep. need you to go in there and serve them. They need you to go in there and say, hey, how can I help you? What can I right. do? And I think the sales organization in the beginning um, was a lot of individuals, which modeled by obviously the, the Vetter brothers, which was just like, hey, how, what do we need to do in this moment to go make it happen? And let's go do it. Um, we right. brought on some industry guys and gals, you know, from different companies that had really good CPG background. And they did 
you know, a good job to get us in certain doors and manage, obviously, the promotional spend and different things. But I think as it evolved, um, we just Greg was and Brian and Matt were never afraid to kind of really say, hey, are we protecting the culture? Mm-hmm. And then also too, let me look around and just make sure that who we have in this organization right now is, you know, their habits are in line with our goals um, because we're not trying to just grow top line and, you know, get inside doors for the sake of getting inside and get, getting inside of doors. Um, we really want to be intentional. We belong right. in some places. We do not belong in other places, right. but other, you know, evolving over the years, I think we've done a great job at really understanding we want real food for everybody, um, not just to be, you know, in this store or on this shelf. Um, and so I think that that's been, you know, the org chart has really evolved to allow us to do that. So before we take the break, I just want to I want to hone in on something because. You know, when we were only in New York, mm-hmm. you know, I was personally at, you know, 14 Whole Foods a week. Um, when even when we were in only the Northeast, right, like I was able to get to New Jersey. My team was able to get to Westchester sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. But when you start to get into that, you know, beyond your region. It's there have to be people out there that can represent you, they're not going to ever do it like you would represent yourself. And they're probably not going to ever do it like someone who just is only representing you. Right. So like, but how, what would you say would be signals to you that like, okay, this, these people get what I'm trying to do. Or what would you say aside from like the, Hey, with the, with the iPad, this is probably not a broker team or a sales team that really gets me because I have been in a position where as someone who's trying to, we're not just kind of adding a new condiment or dressing. We're actually kind of category bending a little bit and people are Mm -hmm. not used to seeing sauces in pouches in the refrigerator. Sure. Um, and that is not for every salesperson or broker. Like they right. have to, and I didn't know that. I, I just thought if you're good, you're good. And I was wrong. So I guess the question is like, are there any, for, for the companies like mine a year ago that are going from the region to national and they're interviewing different broker partners and they're trying to figure out how, how are we going to know what the hell is going on in Sacramento what are the things you would say to look for in potential, you know, agencies or partners or, you know, service providers? You know, I, to be honest with you, I think that when I think about some of those around me, you know, that I work with today and, you know, their background who, you know, I think do it far better than me and they kind of have gone out there and gotten some of these really good broker partners. I think they've led with, the story and the mission, but I think it all goes back to, you know, Greg, Brian and Matt have been unapologetically committed to, um, you know, keeping it real and, and, you know, 
inventing clean manufacturing and making salad dressing and food and everything what it should be, or at least taking it back to what it should be. And I think that they have done a great job, especially as we've gone out there to get either employees that are on our team and are, you know, part of Tessie Mays mm-hmm. or broker partners, whether, you know, it's in retail or convenience or um, food service. And they've just led with such a powerful message and a powerful story and really translated the culture well. Right. Because I think if it's, if you're not able to kind of make people see the why and then be very aggressive on watching how they then go into the retailers that or partners that you want to go get, you're going to very quickly see if, Hey, did they listen to the story? Mm -hmm. Did I do a good job to translate what we're about? And then are, are they, are they juiced up by what I told them and, and the deck that I went through? Um, and sometimes yeah. you don't find that out until, you know, six months in, a year in right. that, you know, right. sometimes, you know, they're, they're able to not get some of the doors that you wanted. So I, I don't think it's a one size fits all. And I think right. even within some of the broker partners that we have, you know, there's obviously some really, really great shining stars who really kind of almost attract to our food philosophy and, and sort of our core values. And then there's others that do a fantastic job, but, you know, they're more of a mindset of like, hey, I'll be able to nail out all of this for you. I'll get you in these doors. I'll get you this meeting and then pass the baton to you. And I want you to swoop in and really kind of make sure that you deliver right. what needs right. to happen. So, you know, yep. that's that's kind of been my take. Yeah. No, and it's uh, one thing I would say to, you know, I I don't know about you and, and we'll take a quick break after this, but in sales in particular, I would say that I hung on a little too long to, you know, not only internal, but external team members in Mm -hmm. hopes that it would click. Mm -hmm. And my only it's I'm I, I think that I would say, you know, sooner than you think and, you know, and when you do know, you really know it probably isn't going to get much better. Someone who doesn't like align, it's unlikely that you're going to get them there. Of course, you can like make sure that the deck makes sense. And of course, that they understand the story and make sure you're giving them context and make sure that your marching orders are clear and all the things that you need to do with anybody, right? Mm -hmm. Like context and the why and the who and the how and, you know, all of it. But I will say in sales in particular, the the people that I haven't worked out, I wish that I had followed that gut six months earlier. Mm-hmm. I think it would have spared us some pain. Um, yeah. And I don't I don't know why that is or if it's only in sales or if you if you've noticed the same. Yeah, I mean, I, I can say from personal experience and again, um, you know, been, been a part of testing base for over six years and, but have been in sales for far longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but being a part of testing maze is something that I've never been a part of a company where culture and, um, really that sort of mission is, is so, so forefront and so, so important. And it really guides a lot of why we do what we do and who we, you know, mm-hmm. onboard and who, who doesn't make it, who does make it. I personally have been wrong about some people early on 
that just need a little bit of time, right? Time. And they need that guidance and they need that sort of um, someone to help them. And mm-hmm. I think for me, especially coming into the industry brand new at Tessie Mays over six years ago, I hope and I've tried to be that for a lot of others, even if they come in and they've got 30 years of experience, 25 mm-hmm. years of experience, everyone has blind spots. Everyone right. has gaps because, you know, they came from big CPG and, you know, we're, we're not big CPG or vice versa. Right. I'm not from big CPG. And so I need that person to come in and help me fill in my gaps. So yep. I think what we've found today, at least whether it's broker or someone who we just hired or someone that, you know, is coming in is that as long as you bring people in who check their ego at the door mm-hmm. and everybody works collaboratively and they want to see everybody win, yeah, then I think you have a really good thing going and it helps you build a strong organization with no infighting and yeah. you're all moving in the same direction. Yeah. But the minute that you start to bring in people that really, you know, I think want their star to shine brighter than everybody else's is when mm-hmm. I think you start to have problems. Right. Yeah. Um, or blame. I, right. Blame is a nightmare. Yeah. Right. So, okay. you know, makes sense. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about sales and how to do them with Eric from Tessie Mays. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I'm back with Eric Strickland from Tessie Mays. Okay. So let's talk about a little bit, you know, I'd like to know, I mean, I'm going to actually, I'm going to put it to you. What are three things that you feel you've learned just from being in the sales world of the company? So, you know, anything from you know, that that different channels have different pricing or that there's, you know, it, it leads innovation in ways that you didn't think it would. Like it can literally be anything, but I'm curious how you would answer this in particular. All right. So three things from being in the sales world at Tessie Mays. 
that were surprising for you? Like sales, you probably kind of came in and even though you knew you had a learning curve on the product and the culture, sales maybe, you know, sales or sales or sales, but in particular yeah. in CPG and in particular in the company you're in. Yeah, I mean, one thing that comes to mind is how incredibly complicated it is to take a really great product and just get it onto the shelf, mm -hmm. whether that's in convenience or whether that's in uh, a grocery store or whether, you know, that's in the athletic program of a college, right? Mm -hmm. There's, I mean, we always, you know, uh, someone I work with, Sean McLaughlin, who's who's done a ton of, you know, has a ton of experience and has helped me really hone a lot of the skills is he'll call food service and a lot of things outside of, of um, retail bowl of spaghetti, right? <laughs> Where it's just, you're staring at it, it's all tangled and there's so many moving parts and right. you've got to start to figure out, okay, where does this piece begin and where does it end? Because, yep. you know, I've got six people from this distributor emailing me and I've got to do a new item setup and I got to do this. So, for me, it was always very eye-opening at first in my first two to three years as to how complicated it was and overwhelming at times yeah. to just simply sell in a product um, and yeah. then really failed a lot in the beginning of, you know, oh, whoops, I didn't set this product up in time. It's not going to be on the shelf. Well, we'll see yeah. in a year for the reset, yeah. right? Yeah, um, So that to me was kind of a really eye-opening experience was... Um, <laughs> I go back to the beginning when when I thought of Tessie Mays and I had never been a part or I thought of, you know, my friend's salad dressing company that they were building. I had such a, you know, I just did not know how <laughs> incredibly complicated it could be. Yeah. Um, and honestly, you know, maybe it was the ego in me or just in, oh, I'm in sales. I can do this, you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. You step in and you're just, you know was it the quote of Mike Tyson? Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Right. And CPG <laughs> continues to punch you in the mouth, even yeah. six and a half or, you know, in the vetter's case, they've been building this thing for 12 years. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that always happens. And I think it's one of those things where um, in sales I've learned, or at least at Tessie Mays, because I can't speak for being anywhere else, mm -hmm. where I've kind of gotten comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, very yep. little surprises me. And very little throws me off to where I can't quickly go, okay, problem ABC, we got to figure out this. Here's, you know, this distributor didn't deliver on time. Uh, yep. They were going to pick up, they were going to do this. So I think that complicated aspect of it is just something that forces you, whether you want to or not, really to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I think that's a great point. And it actually leads me into another question, which is that you guys are really innovative if you know i mean considering that like you've now gone into many different sales channels right you've mm -hmm. also gone into many different products you you know started doing salad kits you started you know you were fresh you have fresh but you also have shelf stable you know you're adding spaghetti to the bowl <laughs> um you know whereas like you know a cholula for example, you know, I'm sure there, there's more to it, but 
from an outside perspective, it's, you know, they have eight SKUs. One of them is like amazing and the power SKU and, and they stuck to what they knew and they didn't go into all different categories and all different, you know, places in the store and, and they just banged it out. Um, yeah. At least from, you know, that's again, from the outsider's perspective. Um, right. Or like in the case of RX bar where they, you know, they, they maybe mapped out brand extensions and, you know, other categories that they could go into as kind of like, here you go, Kellogg's, you know, but they didn't necessarily do them. Um, but you right. guys have chosen to be innovative, innovative, innovative. And I would imagine that selling bottles to an organic store in Maryland is very different from selling into a college sports program, you know, and, and then, and that is different from selling a salad kit into a gas station because it's important to you that people are able to get healthy food when they're on the road in their cars. Right. Right. So, so what has informed that innovation? Is it like, is it, we need to do more? Is it, you know, our consumers are asking, like, I'm sure it's all of it, but why add more spaghetti to the bowl and <laughs> what drives those decisions? You know, far, far away from little old Eric Strickland, uh, <laughs> the, the, the vetter brothers and, you know, our R and D team, chef Kristen, chef Tom, you know, and, and a lot of, uh, innovative brains that are better than me, um, really fuel a lot of those, those decisions. But I would say, you know, at least from my perspective and when being a part of this organization, I would say that it basically is our approach is to simplify food, to amplify life. And however we can do that is how we kind of look at a problem and say, is there a customer on the other end who's asking us to solve that? Or is there somebody else out there who we're starting to see a lot of data around that really does not have something to offer, right? And so when you go into the professional teams or the colleges and universities and you see that what they're able to get out of certain distributors or just in their cases, when COVID shuts down their catering, COVID shuts mm -hmm. down their restaurants, is Jimmy Dean frozen sandwiches or bags of pretzels or candy right. bars or protein bars. And there's all kinds of rules around what they can eat. What's a snack? What's this? You start to go, wait a minute. Right. There's nothing out there. Kind of like our journey in the beginning, 12 years ago with bottled dressing in the produce section. There's nothing out there that isn't either full of junk and, mm -hmm. you know, citric acid and, you know, gums and this and this that they can pull and feel really, really good about eating. Right. And so, you know what? We're going to take the approach that Greg and, you know, obviously his, his family and Teresa better in the beginning did, and they're going to go do it themselves. They're going to figure out if right. they can do it. Are they, are they going to hit it out of the park? Every single product, every single innovation that comes out right. of Tessie Mays, is it, is it a home run? No. But at the same time, it's this relentless pursuit of we know how to simplify food because everyone's so damn good at complicating it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's that when you really look at that and when you look at 
the trajectory of a salad dressing brand in America is typically a faceless brand or some brand that just popped onto the scene, hired a bunch of co-packers, got some marketing agency to create cool packaging. And they've, they've not come from sort of a, you know, build it yourself mentality. You guys are a great example of that, right? It's very culinary in origin. Mm -hmm. And you've built that through many, many years of, saying this is how food should be. Right. And so I think that's where the innovation really comes from is to say, hey, you know, whether it's a salad kit or whether it's a grab and go snack or whether it's a chicken dipper or whether it's whatever, the differentiator is the dressing. Right. Yeah. And the ingredients, right? It's got to taste good. It's got to be clean label because we are just, I mean, and I know you share this Uh, insight because we've talked is like how many brands out there are running around just using buzzwords in order to Mm -hmm. get consumers to kind of buy their stuff as opposed to okay cool the buzzword of years ago was all natural well organic non-gmo organic Mm -hmm. is always non-gmo but we very much are a clean label brand that even when we go and we start making products outside of our dressings it needs to have those attributes and those food philosophies inside the entire package versus a veggie tray with some no name clear package dip Mm -hmm. that you don't know where it came from and you have no idea why you would even use it. Right. It's interesting, right? Because every, you know, if I had to sort of sum up the three years of the podcast, Mm -hmm. everyone who's really done it and built something, they kind of come back to the same refrain And it's like, you've got to know who you are and you've got to know why you're doing it. And you've got to know like who you're doing it for. And, and like, we all kind of think we have those things solved, but when it, when, but the more that you kind of dig in and the more you learn about yourself, I mean, you guys are, you know, almost, yeah, you're over a decade, right? So Mm -hmm. you really know who you are and that's incredible, right? Because then, like you said, you have the guiding principle and you have all these different things to go there, but there's never any question of, of the why. And, right. you know, I mean, just to be Simon sinek about it, right? Like <laughs> that why then translates to your consumers, your partners, the buyers, your own team, your innovation process, every single thing connects to that one thing. And figuring that thing out seems to be, it's like the guiding light, you know? Right. And um, and to your yeah. point, I think if like going back to the choosing of the sales individuals and building of the organization, if right. you don't believe it and you don't live it, right? Like you don't have to be, you know, literally keto vegan everything and and work for this company and do that but if you're you don't really embrace the why and you don't believe it that that shows in the way that you flow through a presentation to a category manager right and that shows when i'm out there in california driving around to to gas stations trying to educate those employees and those customers on why we're starting to do this in this channel um and so i think that's to your point about the why is like it's not just just having that why, but going back to finding good brokers, finding good employees, finding people in every 
piece of that organization is, you know, do they get it? And does it really impact them in a powerful way? And are they able to properly translate it to a complete stranger or to someone who they want to onboard and recruit? Yeah. And even in, you know, you know, we have this discussion all the time in this industry, you know, is it doors or is it velocity? You know, a lot of us are like, we're not going to go into every single door because we don't want to just like grow sales and then get discontinued because we don't have a core consumer there. You know, my team knows like if we just do one more, you know, unit per week at these accounts, that's a million dollars a year. One more. Right. Like that's we are so focused on growing that velocity. And I think that a lot of young brands like we have no idea. We've gone up every quarter in velocity since we've started in Northeast Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. That me to me means that we have no idea where we plateau. Like we're not we like we haven't hit it yet. So why would we think that we should stop just fully pedal to the metal? Right. Right. Um, But. Then, like I was telling you, there are some stores where, you know, for no, no, you know, nothing we've done, a, a, a major retailer that we're in is reorganizing their section and we're out in August. Yep. And we're hoping yep. that we can be back in in another section, but that reset isn't until February. That meeting is in August. I will be like waking up at three in the morning until then. But, you know, <laughs> Here's a, you know, we had a really good plan and we're like velocities over doors, velocities over doors. And then all of a sudden we find out that, you know, 500 of our big doors are gone for six months. Right. Right. And it's really hard not to, not to get really super bummed about that and to almost go into like panic mode, like, okay, we need another account. Right. You know, okay, we got to fill that gap. How do we fill that gap? Um, Right. I mean, what, what do you, what do you do in those situations? If you've been in that situation, what would you advise me other than like, try not to wake up at 3 AM? <laughs> <laughs> try to take some melatonin. Um, right. <laughs> no, I would say, I would say that, you know, I think as we started off today is like this industry and all of us are students or, or this industry teaches you obviously to just be comfortable with being uncomfortable, but also too, we're students of sales that sometimes things happen and, there's really no logical ex- logical explanation for them right. other than, oh, I was dealing with John and now I'm dealing with Sally. Yep. And, yep. you know, there's a new category manager and they handle inventory like this or their mm-hmm. boss just told them to go allocate the produce section and make it all meal kits because that's mm-hmm. hot right now. And they're trying to, you know, there's trying to stop, you know, Hungry Root and the Blue Aprons of the world and some basket from you know, taking their market share. So I think it's very interesting sometimes is that, especially those of us that make fresh products, right, that are going in the produce section or, you know, even when you look in center store, what kind of guides that? Because those shelves are just a wild, wild west of choices after choices after choices. Right. Um, But I think what it is, is, you know, you really take, what you guys have done. And and when I think back about Tessie Mays, what we have done really well. And if you focus on why, you know, and not go, not to go back to the why, but just to say like, why is our product different? Mm -hmm. Do we tell that story really well? Do we have data that backs that up and supports that? 
I think it really makes it easier to go into those meetings and get those opportunities um, because as I'm sure you guys do, it all starts with, with taste and quality. Right. Um, and I feel like we have it, you have it in spades. Um, so other than those rogue situations where you can't control things that you don't already control, um, the losing of a lot of doors, which we've been down that road, mm -hmm. um, a lot of the times will allow it to be a blessing down the road because it teaches right. you about what wasn't working and you're able right. to kind of fail forward. For sure. Um, I mean, I'm actually like net net, very happy to be out of that section and right. love the opportunity to be in a section that I think is more appropriate for us, but it's painful. Um, right. And I guess that, that, that leads me to, you know, I wanted to ask you how as a, I think you kind of answered the question in a way, you know, you basically said, why are we different? Do we tell that story and do we have data to back it up? Mm -hmm. Would you say that that is sort of like the rough outline of a sales deck? Like, I guess the question is for you and I'm sure, you know, your decks are going to be different, every different retailer, every different channel, every different everything. But like, are those the key components you would say for people who don't have the help or don't have a team for someone who's selling into their first major retailer, you know, this is something that people ask me about all the time. Like, can you look at the deck? Tell me about the deck. What do I need to put in the deck? You know, and most of us don't have a ton of data, but you know, we're trying to, we're trying to say, okay, look at what we did in these 10 stores here's what we could do in these 25. Here's what we could do in these 250. Here's what we could do in these thousand, like go and go back to the deck a little bit if you can. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when I think back about some of the decks that either <laughs> someone allowed me to put together or <laughs> yeah. didn't allow me to put together, just didn't know I was putting them together. I kind of laugh because today our team has done such a phenomenal job at really, you know, creating that template that, that from the first page all the way to the last page is just stellar. Right. Yeah. And, but when I go back to the original kind of days of testing maze and really learning, um, we didn't have any data, mm -hmm. like literally almost nothing other than maybe what we got from, you know, our e-com platform of like, this is where people are buying and your stores are hitting near there. So maybe you should start right. putting it on the shelf Yeah, because tessiemaze.com is, you know, killing it in Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of our data. We didn't really subscribe or have, you know, spins no. or Nielsen IRI, right. all that kind of stuff. Um, and frankly, you know, when, when I started to kind of learn how to use it, I, I was like, oh, my God, this has been around <laughs> for how many years? Right. <laughs> so it really was truly something that I think the story, the why, the quality, and then ultimately the samples we brought in and the taste, um, maybe it was a little bit of... Brian Vetter with, you know, the second or third button down and some Crest white strips. I'll give some credit to him for that a few <laughs> times in the sales meetings. Mm -hmm. um, but, but it really was one of those things where we walked in with um, such passion, yeah. such great quality and differentiating ourselves from everyone else and everything else on the market and on the shelf was just so stale and same old, same old, filled with xanthan gum, you know, a bunch mm -hmm. of different other stuff that it really 
you didn't kind of need the data in the beginning. Right. You know, yeah, at least and, from yeah. our standpoint. No, and I um, think that that's, I think it's very, you know, I would say there's like a, a, almost like a turning point where it goes from like, they're taking a bet on you and your passion and your story and they're tasting this amazing thing. And then it kind of, and that, that's like the, that goes on for, I think a couple of years. And then when you start to get to the bigger retailers, it's some of them don't even want to meet me. You know, they don't, I mean, a couple of them, like it's just a UNFI rep, honestly. And, you know, I'm like, "Uh, uh, uh, you know, what do we give? What do we, you know? And so I feel like, you know, I mean, I've even tried to, when we got into Whole Foods Global, I made video recordings because it was literally the first week of COVID. And I made video recordings of myself to every buyer in every region with like our first two week of sales data, you know, saying like, Hey, that's awesome. you know, we're nobody opened them. Nobody not, we put them on a thing so we could tell <laughs> if anyone opened the email. Red. I think Roger, yeah. I think, you know, I, one, one regional. And again, it was the beginning of COVID of course, like I don't blame them, but like right. it's sometimes it's not that we don't, have the passionate story to tell. It's that it's almost like someone used the expression, like we're screaming into the void. You know, we're like, we're passionate and this is amazing and we'll do great. Like, just give us the chance. And then there's no one picking up on the other side. It's like, so, I mean, sometimes we're like, oh my gosh, like Houston, you know, we have a, (laughs) like, we have a signal, like there's like a beep, you know, beep. And we're like, oh my gosh, someone answered, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, for sort of the last minute or two, you know, why have you guys been able to last? Like, why have you been able to make it and grow? What do you think you're, you know, I know it's the, I know it's the passion. I know it's, you know, the guiding principle. I know it's these three brothers, but, you know, what would be your big piece of advice to people building these brands and, you know, eight years, 10 years behind you, what would you say? I think that something that obviously has allowed us to stand the test of time, of course, I talked about it, was was obviously the culture, was, was making sure that you relentlessly evaluated who you have on board and made sure yeah. that as you're going through some of the toughest periods and we've been through some tough periods, you have people that are there for the right reasons. Their motivation is not, well, I'm just here to only make money and I can either go Mm -hmm. do this or I can go sell life insurance. Right. You know, it's really got to be something where you kind of are able to almost have some organizational vulnerability Mm-hmm. that you're able to ask questions inside of doors that maybe some big CPG companies or um, normal companies might not ask. Um, but I think it's, and I think this, in my humble opinion, you know, it's not the opinion of Tessie Mays, but just my humble opinion is, I think a lot of companies um, don't solve as many problems as they think they do, or they get mm-hmm. enamored with their own creativity And so they they start to get, they start to get almost like high on their own supply. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. if they would just kind of keep it simple as to like, who are you? Right. What problem do you solve? And then go in there and just be authentic and don't try to spin or sell or put a bunch of fake crap inside of your product as a way to help the retailer get better margins, help you get right. better margins, help this. And I think that's what, you know, I kind of mentioned to you of like Tessie Mays being trend proof is like, we didn't set out ever when Teresa Vetter for Greg, Brian and Matt was making, you know, the salad right. dressing in her house to be a whole 30 brand whole 30 didn't exist. Right. You know, keto wasn't even a thing then. Yeah. So it, when you take something out of a mom of three boys kitchen and you never change it for 12 years, you're trend proof. Right. Oh, Hey, we're a whole 30. Oh, cool. What's that? You know, that right. was like 2014, 2015. Hey, you're keto. Cool. Like <laughs> we were food tribe compliant. Right. We were clean <laughs> manufacturing because we didn't allow any of the kind of outsiders with big ideas to come in and go, well, you know, if you do this, like all these other companies, this is what happened. Right. Well, if you do this, I mean, Greg and Brian and Matt have always been very, very good at being like, I don't care. Yep. We're going to yep. forge ahead. And so I think that that's really what's kind of helped us stand the test of time. And I can just speak from experience lately with us going into convenience. You know, we, we opened our first convenience account uh, within the last 60 days. And I think another part of kind of the, the secret sauce, if you will, is hey, I'm going to be the one that initially goes through the deck with you and sells it to you and everything. And mm-hmm. oh, by the way, when you give me the opportunity, which I'm eternally grateful for, I'm also going to call you and be in your region and I'm going to drive around to every single store and make mm-hmm. sure that everything's good. Any problems that I see, I can help you fix and I'm yeah. going to do it in person uh, yeah. and I'm not going to outsource it to somebody because that's just not the way that we built we Tessie Mays. Yeah. Amazing. Eric, thank you so much. And I forgot to thank you at the beginning of the show too. Like you're one of those people on LinkedIn that everything, I don't know, like everything that's nice that happens to Haven's Kitchen, you seem to know about it and like cheer me on and like say, like, I don't, we've never met, but I feel like you're a friend. And so when I was sort of like, in a sales, do I hire? What do I do? Like you were the only person I could think of to call. Like I called you immediately (laughs) and I was like, hi, can, can you have a phone call with me about like, you know, so I just want to thank you um, because it really does take a village. And, you know, for those of us who really believe just in the power of collaboration, um, you know, I will pass it on and I will pay it forward. Um, yeah. And, you know, speaking of that, um, this podcast is hopefully doing that for a lot of people. And Amanda, like this segue, thank you for, um, you know, helping with the engineering and helping us get this information into people's hands so that we can have better food for more people out there in the world. And we can have thoughtful businesses that you know, hire people and support people and make the world better. Um, because really, why are we doing this if not? Um, so Eric, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Amanda, thanks for engineering and, um, podcast listeners. Thank you. 
for listening. I hope this is helping. Continue your DMs. Continue letting me know how I can be helpful. And um, stay tuned for next week for another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.